Welcome, welcome to day, what is today, seven? Day seven. No idea. Well, it's chapter well, six, uh, yeah. so it's day seven. Day welcome, seven. YouTube. Welcome, Instagram Live. My name is Pastor David Asherick. I am the DA part of the OT with DA, and we are reading through uh, a large part of the Old Testament. And uh, by this point, probably most of you that are tuning in already knew that. So welcome. This is our second session of the day. Jen, we already did an hour and 40 minute marathon. And I thought it went really well. What'd you think? I did. I thought it was good. Yeah. Were you happy? I was very organized ahead of time. And I'm getting a lot of feedback from people. They were really... Yeah, you've already gotten a ton yeah. of People of wanting texts the notes. And, and yeah, yeah, there was a strong response. So it yeah. scratched people where they itched. And just, just a reminder, if you want to get your hands on Jen's notes, her very well-organized notes... Follow me on Instagram and send me your email address. DM the I, email yeah, address. That's right. DM the email. And you've probably already responded to some of these people. Not yet. I've, I'm starting to compile the emails, and I'll, I'm just waiting until they all come in, and then I'm going to send one out. I'm very organized. You're so organized. It's very impressive. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. Good evening from Dupo, Illinois. Oh, somebody says it was terrific. <laughs> Cleveland, Tennessee, checking in. Hello, Robert Smith, Deb Snyder. Cold construction, D, D winter to be. Great session this afternoon. I was blessed. Hey, thank you for that positive feedback. Oh, another person. Great afternoon session. Well, they're going by so fast. Mm. Hi, David and Dr. Jen. Oh, it just brings joy to my heart to see that. You really good. Uh, this chapter exceeds my sure. expectations. I learned more about Enoch. I agree. Excellent chapter. Royal Grande. I was just out there. Oh, true. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Hi, Jen. Great to see you. Welcome. Kelly, welcome. Okay. Denise, welcome from Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Washington. Yeah. Is anybody out there listening in not from the United States? We got San Jose. San Jose. Oh, there we go. Canada, British Columbia. Oh, BC. Mind opening. That's Palmer, cool. Alaska. Have you been to Alaska? Never. Oh, you have to get to Alaska. It's amazing. I've been to Alaska. I've been to Alaska. Yep. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Oh, somebody says enjoyed the afternoon session. session. Bam. So did we. Adelaide. No sound. Kelly, I hope you're wrong about that. There's no sound. Can you guys hear us? Uh, Calgary, right Olympia, Washington, Houston, Texas, Canada, Apopka, Florida. All right. Who is that? A lot of Canadians. There's another. Okay. Man, I love it. Yeah. Uh, from South Africa, but visiting Chattanooga. Okay. Okay. Queensland. Yay. Fellow Australian. Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Okay. okay, so people say they can hear. Great. Right, Welcome, everybody. We're on day seven, chapter six of OT with DA, and we're going to just get right into this. Um, a reminder to use the OT with DA hashtag on all of your social media. So that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's really all I use. Do yeah. you have any other social media platforms yeah. beside that? Those are the, that's yeah. the ones. Okay. I'm trying to do TikTok, but it's not going. Oh, anywhere. really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not a TikTok type. Are you going to like dance and stuff? Yeah. Something like that. Are but you serious? No. <laughs> now, I would actually get a TikTok account just to see that. <laughs> just to see Jen, Dr. Dr. Jennifer Doing Jill Schwerzer. I'm trying to learn the shuffle, though. I really am. The, the, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. That's a dance? Yeah. It's a step. It's a step. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, if you learn it. So maybe I will. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Jen, we are in chapter six, which is um, 
Seth and Enoch. Mm -hmm. And uh, why don't you open with prayer and we'll get right into this. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this wonderful book. It's, Amen. It's, it's going deep inside of us and excavating out some of the yeah, misconceptions true. that we've had and imbalances and, and even sin, God. It's, mm. it's very confronting to study inspired material, your word, and to see, you know, just to see the principles laid down so eloquently. So we pray that you would please be in this session, help us to be mm -hmm. comprehensive and, and yet concise and, and bless the, the listeners and bless amen. us as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Jen, what I'd like to do yeah. for today's session is I'm just going to start by reading a little bit of the biblical material. Okay. And there's not a ton here, but we're in sort of Genesis 4. Obviously, our last chapter, we were in Cain and we talked about Cain and Abel. That's also Genesis 4. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read a section here in Genesis chapter 4. You can actually look on here with me if you'd like. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Okay, verse 16, it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. This is going to be sort of the descendants of Cain, the family mm -hmm. of Cain. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Mm -hmm. Not the Enoch Not we're going to be talking Enoch, about yeah. today. Different Enoch, popular name, yeah. apparently. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Mm -hmm. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methusael, and Methusael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada. The name of the second was Zillah. We got the A and the Z covered. Mm -hmm. And Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Mm -hmm. His brother's name was Jubal. Mm -hmm. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Mm -hmm. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, I, yeah. even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, yeah. then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing that just jumps out at me, and I'm just going to make a quick observation about this, yeah. is when you contrast the descendants of Cain, as described by Moses here in you know the early, early, early anthropology mm -hmm. of mankind, the early history of mankind, mm -hmm. we're told of the worldly things that they accomplished, like the they were things not, they, they were not slackers. Yeah, exactly. They were, yeah, yeah, they were they were doers. But the thing that I think that really pops out here is that when we get into the family of Adam in chapter 5, we don't get these kinds of details. You don't get the report. Yeah. All we get is, this is how long they lived and they had children. Mm -hmm. This is how long they lived and they had I children. why that is. Well, I'm going to make a, a suggestion here yeah. that it's because the descendants of Cain, because they so rooted and grounded and tied themselves to this world, that's all they got. That's all they were. They didn't live for the hereafter. That's what they they, they And we're going to see these two streams, mm -hmm. right, yeah. that are described, these two mm -hmm. classes of people. And so the only nod that they're going to get to their accomplishments yeah. are merely earthly. It says, in that which pertains to mere earthly Correct. and material progress, his descendants became distinguished. Correct. So maybe God is saying, like, you know, this is all you got. So That's right. I'm going to congratulate you for it, it. It reminds me a little bit of in, in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is very fresh in my mind right now because just today, mm -hmm. just today, by the way, live on Storyline, was the first of a 10-part series that Pastor Ty Gibson and I did titled Kingdom Manifesto. 
Anyway, one of the things, because that's been on my mind, because we did so much mm -hmm. study for that series, was when Jesus talks about the religious leaders, the Pharisees of his day, he would say when they do their alms or when they pray, they do so in such a way that people see them. They see it. And then he says this, they have their reward. That's it. Right, so that's kind of what's going that's on here, get, right? Like, you know, like you're not you going to get the hereafter, so you yeah, get the applause, get the money, and that's what you get. You get the prestige. You know, yeah. hey, this guy was amazing. He yeah. he was oh. the father of those who play the harp and the flute, and this guy was really good with cows, and this guy built a city. And and I'll tell you where it gets really toxic. This guy was a total lunatic who had two wives. When it when it gets really toxic is when God's people, the ones that are seeking a better world, a better country compare their level of accomplishment in this world. Yeah. And I kind of have that conflict within me because my I'm totally de devoted to ministry, but my father was a very successful businessman. And so I have it like kind of in my genetics and my upbringing to always measure myself by my accomplishments mm. and money and the things that are just not part of a, a life of yeah, ministry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've had this constant conflict inside me. My it's almost like an life. epigenetic yeah, sort yeah. of baggage that yeah, you carry yeah. around with you. Interesting, yeah. just a note yeah. on that. I actually have the opposite of that. You could care less. No, no, no. Not that I could care yeah. less, but because I never met my biological father, so yeah. I, I don't know what I got from him, mm -hmm. right, genetically or epigenetically or yeah. in terms of, you know, his nature. Yeah. But... I, I have thought to myself many times over the years, I, I probably should be more ambitious. People say to me, David, you should be writing books. You should be doing... And I do have a desire to accomplish things for the kingdom, but I, you do I'm do. i not driven but yeah, you're not for recognition. Yeah. And I don't mean to say that in some sort of... That's not a humble brag. I'm just being really honest here yeah, that I probably should be more ambitious. In some ways, but you're now starting to be, aren't you? I hope so. Because you're going to write a book with me. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the, I'll be totally honest with you. One of the big issues for me has always been, and I've been unapologetic about this, I prioritize the raising of my sons. Yeah, I just, really when do. my children were especially in that sort of, yeah. you know, 7 to yeah. 18, 19 years old, they're, they're my number one priority. And now... Yeah. Violetta and I are entering into this new chapter where now that our sons are, you know, going off on their own and going to college and beginning their lives, I really feel like the next 20 years of ministry for me are going to be, yeah. I'm digging deep. Uh, but I think I'm it's excited. Also, I think it's a temperament thing for you, David, too, because you, like, there are certain temperaments, personality types that are what I call plotters that just plug away day after day. They don't That's get a me. whole lot done in a short period of time, but they... But they just stay yeah, they just, at it, and they end this, up accomplishing. Yeah, that's but you're true. the kind of guy that can accomplish a lot in a very short period of time. So you really have been very active mm. with your preaching. You like look what you're doing right now. Right, right, right. Seventy-five sessions after a hundred session one with Desire of Ages. That's not a little bit of work. Though. No, it's a big commitment. Yeah. Okay, so I, that's my. Yeah. We got into that conversation because yeah. I'm making the suggestion here, and Ellen White seems to intimate yeah. it. What page are you on there? Page eighty-one. Yeah. That the reason that we have this sort of you know, itemization yeah. of their worldly accomplishments was because, That's like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, they have their reward. I've got it. That's it. You get your little nod, you get your little footnote, you get your little mention, yeah. and that's it. So tied to this world. Mm -hmm. um, okay, now I'm right at the end of chapter four, and Adam knew his wife again, mm -hmm. which I have to say, I really like the sort of delicacy of that. Yeah. You know, it, it's so... Beautiful, it's so intimate, and it's so humble yeah. and modest. Yeah, yeah. it's modest. It's got, hey, can I ask you a question before you jump into that? Yeah, 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 go. Okay, so she says here, right around the time when, you know, in regard to him with this statement that he made about murder, um, she says this, oh, to yeah? the crimes of murder, 
You're talking about Lamech? Cain, yeah, yeah. In which Cain had led the way. Lamech, the fifth in descent, added polygamy and boastfully defiant, he acknowledged God only to draw from the avenging of Cain an assurance of his own safety. What does that mean? Because he was saying, like, um, you know, I, you know, I've killed a man. And, and I basically took infinite revenge for a little bit of harm that he yeah, did yeah, to me. Yeah. That's, that's the law. It wasn't an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And, and actually, the, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth was put in the of course law it was. to correct infinite justice. Ty and I talked yeah. about yeah, that yeah, in, the, uh, in yeah. the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. That it was actually, it it moderated yeah. the ever, es- you know, that's like the Hatfields something. and the McCoys, yeah, exactly. right? You kill one, we kill two. It you cor- kill two, we kill ten. You kill ten, we kill... excess, yeah, right. or wrong thinking. So, um, but it says avenging of Cain and assurance of his own safety. How? I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, maybe I'll yeah. look at that when we get okay. there. Okay. Stop asking me hard questions. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm I kidding. I thought you could answer I'm it. kidding. I thought it was going to be something really easy. Like what was the name of Adam's wife? <laughs> I know that one. Um, okay. So now just the last part of um, Genesis chapter four. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son named and named him Seth, yeah. which means appointed. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. For God has appointed another seed for me, another offspring for me, instead yeah. of Abel, whom Cain killed. I just feel the, the yeah. pain of that. Yeah. Yeah. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Yeah. Then men began to call in the name of the Lord. Yeah. And then so just very like briefly. Kind of, you kind of have like nope. Adam, then you have uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Seth. And then there's two pillars of lineage. Correct. And then nothing from Abel. And she, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. And she makes that. I mean, the, the pain there, because yeah. it's actually a quotation, actually, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. This is Eve speaking. Yeah. For God has appointed another seed for me instead yeah. of Abel, whom Cain killed. By the way, Davidson, we talked today about Davidson in his book, mm-hmm. The Flame of Yahweh. He makes a very interesting point. Mm-hmm. After Genesis 3, Adam never speaks again, but Eve does. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very. So we just, I mean, literally, that's a quotation of Eve. God has given me another son. Mm-hmm. Adam is done speaking. Now, of course, that doesn't mean he literally was done speaking. But as but far as recorded. Moses yeah. recording of Adam, what, what, I don't know. A reason for it? Well, the point that Davidson makes, and I thought it was a really good one, is the idea that Adam is the one that's speaking more in Genesis 1 and 2. Some take to be a little nod, a little indicator to headship. Mm-hmm. But then David says, says, well, how could that be? Because she's got at, the last word. She, that's right. <laughs> she speaks after the Genesis mm-hmm. 1 to 3 yeah, account. Yeah. And so I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, cool. But you hear the sadness there. Yeah. You know, hear the sadness yeah. in the... Mm-hmm. Ty, tell, Ty Gibson tells this great illustration. He's been telling it for years. And it's just so wonderful mm-hmm. because it just gets right to the point. You know, the police officer knocks on the door yeah. and says, we have really bad news. You know, your son has been killed. Yeah. And then he says, you know, what are the emotions that you're feeling there? You're angry. you want revenge, there's anger, there's yeah. doubt, there's disbelief. And you find out. And the then the officer says it gets worse. Your daughter killed him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're thrown, thrown into this into whole a dilemma. Exactly. And complex emotions layering on top of each other. So this sibling rivalry here mm-hmm. has escalated into yeah. murder. And you can fear, yeah. feel, excuse me, the sadness. Yeah. For God has appointed another. Seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. If if Adam's hand trembled when he went to yeah, slay that slay first lamb, sacrifice. what must he have thought Bells. when he went and buried, gave his, his own son died. a proper burial? I mean, yeah, un- unbelievable. After being murdered. So let me read the first son. three verses of chapter five as well. Mm-hmm. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam and the day that God created man. 
He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Mm. It's crucially important, so right? Because why did, why Adam's in the image that? of God. Seth, Cain, and Abel are in the image of Adam and Eve. And that's, you know, she brings that out. Of course. And, and the scripture is clearly bringing that out purposefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now let's get into the chapter itself. And uh, let me grab my... Let's see. Yep, I'll put this. You know what I'm going to do? There's not a lot of room on this table, is there? So I'm going to put the book here. So we're in chapter six. Mm -hmm. There we go. I'm going to just use this to hold this. There we go. Um, so as I, I read over the chapter two to actually about three times, and mm -hmm. uh, I sort of divided the chapter up into five sections. Mm -hmm. So she opens talking about Seth. Mm -hmm. She then spends time talking about the descendants of Cain relative to the descendants of Seth. These two, mm -hmm. what she says, two classes of people. Yeah. She then has, for me, what was the saddest part in the whole chapter. And that's where she talks about Adam's experience. Mm -hmm. And Adam's, we'll get to that in just a little bit. And then she talks just very briefly about Eden, how Eden remained on earth until the mm -hmm. flood. Yeah. And it was kind of a reference point. A reference point, exactly. Yeah. And then finally... Uh, it doesn't the, say that they worshipped at the gate. They worshipped yeah. at the gate, that's right. And then the last half of the chapter is on Enoch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. So, Jen, I'm just going to kind of move through this. And yeah. if I go by any paragraph or a, okay. a phrase or a word or a, just a thought you had, just jump in there. Okay. So right out of the gate, one of the most important things here from a theological perspective as well as an anthropological perspective is that Adam is called, now intimated here in Genesis and actually called expressly by Luke and his genealogy in Luke chapter 3, the son of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. Adam is the son of God, and so Adam is made... In the likeness of God, let us make mankind in our image. Eve also uh, wonderfully bore the image of God. But then you have that very crucial transition that we just look, looked at there a moment ago. And that's that when, when Adam has Seth and when yeah. Eve has Seth, yeah. the, the author Moses makes the very clear point that, that Seth is now also, in some sense, very much in the image yeah. of God, yeah. but he's now in the Adam's Adam. likeness. And that's a fallen likeness. That's right. So she says, he was a worthy character following in the steps of Abel, yet he inherited no more natural goodness, goodness. than did Cain. You're reading there. That's the yeah. opening page. Yeah. page. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She also says he was a worthy character. Yeah, you just read that. Yeah. No so, more natural goodness. This is the part I like. Seth, like Cain, inherited the fallen nature of his yeah. parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then she goes on to say, but he also received the knowledge, the knowledge of the Redeemer, Redeemer and the instruction. instruction. And that's what we talked about yesterday, how both Cain and Abel came from the same home, yeah, same right. parents, yeah. same genetics. They were both clearly taught how to worship the one that's true right. God because they both yeah. built an altar. They both were worshiping the right God. They both brought they both brought offerings. That's right. And but they so, turned out so vastly differently. Very different, yeah. right? And so what happens here with Seth whose name means appointed, God has given me another son, he follows more in the sort of trajectory or lineage mm -hmm. of Abel than mm -hmm. of Cain. Yeah. And then she spends quite a little bit of time talking about the, the emergence of these two classes of people. He had a son 
And then men began to call upon the name of Jehovah. Right, exactly. Interesting that yeah. he had a son and then it happened. So he kind of led out in the movement. A, a little bit like Enoch in that regard, yeah, exactly. right? Um, so then I'm at the top of page 93. This is page 81 in the original pagination. This is the second paragraph, but I just really like the way that this um, sort of communicated this idea of loyalty. Mm -hmm. It says, The faithful had worshipped God before, but as men increased, the distinction between the two classes became more marked, right? So there's just heading in on very different trajectories. Yeah, yeah. There was an open profession of loyalty to God on the part of one, as there was of contempt and disobedience on the part of the other. And mm -hmm. I thought that's a fascinating contrast, right? Mm -hmm. On one side, you have loyalty, loyalty. And then what's the sort contempt. of juxtaposition? Contempt. Yeah. Not just disloyalty, yeah. contempt. contempt. Like, it's like you can't remain neutral. You can't be like, I'm sorry, you you know, you raised me a certain way and you taught me certain things, but I'm just not having it, so I'm going to go on my own way here. It's like there's a negative reaction. I've seen that, yeah, and I'm sure you've seen that in your counseling practice. People that were raised, and we were just talking about this actually before the cameras came on, people that were raised in good homes, not perfect homes, yeah. but good homes who then choose to go contrary to, we're talking good Christian homes, who choose to go contrary to the way that their parents raised them and taught them and instructed them, sometimes they're able to maintain an amicable relation with oh, their yeah. parents, oh, even yeah. if they're not believers. Not all of them. But there are other times contemptuous. it becomes contemptuous. But some really do, yeah. And you can't really talk about this now because there's all of this stuff in the air about spiritual abuse and religious abuse. And as soon as you say, wow, my kids are really angry at me and I don't know why I did my best, you're going to be accused of gaslighting. And you're going right. to be pet, you're going to be all the more blamed for whatever they're saying you did. So yeah, whatever the I thing see was. that contempt. I see people just lashing out at, like you said, imperfect parents, but parents that don't deserve the level of shame that's being heaped upon them. Mm. And I just think you know we need to we need to balance somehow. You know there there needs to be responsibility on parents. Of and, course, and abuse is a real thing, and yep. there's such thing yep. as emotional abuse patterns. But we also need to take very seriously the commandment that says to honor your parents. You know, when people invest in you, honor them at least to the degree that they Correct. invested in you. Yeah, even if you choose to not live the way they've right. lived or you choose to jettison their, you know, religious heritage that they've, you know, sought to bequeath to you, that you don't have to hate them. There doesn't have to be a contempt. And, and here's the thing it says, that your days may be long Correct. in the land which God has given you. So it's the command with the promise mm. that you, it's going to extend your life. Why? Because the people that invest the most in you will give you the wisest counsel. And if yes. you don't honor them by respecting that they have counsel, they have skin in the game. Right. They have money exactly. in the bank. Exactly. And so they're going to give you the kind of counsel that's going to preserve you because they've put a stake in your preservation. And if you don't listen to their counsel, you're going to listen to others' counsel and it's going to hurt you. Correct. Yeah. I really love the use of the word loyalty there. We talked about the contempt side of it. Yeah. But in when we get to the New yeah. Testament, which I'm not going to go too deep on this, but the Apostle Paul, one of his favorite words is the word faith. Mm. And that word is translated from the, the Greek word pistis. Yeah. And one of the, the ways that that word can be rendered sort of within the semantic portfolio of that word pistis is loyalty. Really? Oh, very much so. The word faith. Yeah. To be loyal to, to be faithful to. Yeah, that's true. And that's so true I like that even right here, there's this nod that what's at stake here is contemptuous disobedience and faithful loyalty. That's right. Trust and believe. Mm, that's powerful. She then has this really great little section about the Sabbath, and I won't go too deep on it unless you have something you wanted to say. 
except to note that the Bible is unmistakably clear that there was continuity between the Edenic Sabbath and the Sabbath that was codified at Sinai. That's right. Yeah. It's very important to bear that in mind for those of you that are Sabbath keepers. The weekly cycle has never really changed. And not just that the weekly cycle hasn't changed, that's true, but one of the arguments that you will sometimes hear against the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is idiosyncratically or distinctly Jewish. Mm -hmm. But Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for anthropos, mankind. And so we would have the expectation if if the Sabbath was given to Adam and Eve, and literally Mm -hmm. Adam means the human, Mm -hmm. right, Um, that you would expect continuity. And so I appreciate the fact that she just has that little paragraph there where she says, before the fall, our first parents kept the Sabbath, which was instituted in Eden, and after their expulsion from paradise, they continued its observance. Mm. So you, we sometimes feel, Sabbath keepers sometimes feel like they're on the defensive, mm-hmm. having to make a positive argument for the continuity of the Sabbath. Actually, the table should be Turn reversed. The, way, yeah. the argument should be, show me why I shouldn't believe That's right. that the Sabbath was kept from Adam to Sinai, from Eden to Sinai, mm-hmm. because just very briefly on that, and we'll have time to talk about this, Remember that before they even get to Sinai, in Exodus chapter 16, God gives them the manna six days and then not on the seventh, double on the sixth day, mm-hmm. as a reminder of the Sabbath. Well, yeah. how could it be a reminder if they hadn't if they already hadn't had before. been keeping That's the right. Sabbath? That's okay, right. so, right. so the best argument for the Sabbath, in my opinion, is not primarily the continuity or the obligation. It's the content and the opportunity. In other words, we should just magnify how awesome it is not say, well, you have to, you should, it's a duty, that you're, it's an obligation. Yeah, you're but it doesn't mean that it's also not... Also an obligation. There are There is continuity there. That's right. And I like that. I really yeah. appreciated that. Um, she talks in the next paragraph about how Cain stood, I'll just read that, uh, at the head of that great class of men who worship the God of this world. Where are you? Um, I'm just on the paragraph that begins upon receiving. On in page. That's like right at the beginning, very right at the very, very beginning upon receiving. Okay, I'll find it. That's right. Should oh, there be right there. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So she just basically, I'm just making the point that she says yeah. that Cain sort of stands as the figurehead yeah. at, a, at a large class of men and women who worship the God of this world. This and world. that that's the language of dominion. That's right. We've already been talking about how in some legal sense, and I think this was the day before you came, yeah. Jen, that in some legal sense, Satan captured right. legally dominion well, of this world and just capture it. Adam handed handed over it over. That's that a great way to say basically. it. Yeah. And when one of the points I made was yeah. that when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and he said, "All these kingdoms I will give he you," acknowledged that he, he never refuted that it was his right. to give. That's right. And so the God of this world is is a real thing. Yeah. Um, so then, let's see, the two classes, she, she spends time talking sort of about the two How classes of people. Separate. And that kind of jumped out at me. There was, this, there was a separation. And I think something that comes to me in this chapter is the whole concept of separating from the ungodly to yes. preserve yourself. But yes. then also it says that, that Enoch, Enoch would minister to the yeah. people and mingle even with the children of Cain. Absolutely did popped you, out to me too. Did you see that 100%. too? Yeah. So and, and there's a, I even wrote that. here, let, yeah. me just, let me make a note here. Solitude, but not complete isolation. Yes. Balance. Yeah. Right. It wasn't hermetic. It wasn't. That? I want. I want to well, know, I think like, we'll talk about yeah, that. But okay. I noticed the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's because happening she here says is that two classes are separate, and then eventually there's starting to be this intermingling. This intermingling. The intermarriage. 
And then things went south from there. Correct. And the whole pure lineage of Seth started getting, you know, corrupted yeah. until Enoch. And then things changed. And and this is, you know, I don't I don't want to be misunderstood here. So Jen, you know, you have tens of thousands of hours of counseling people. So if I'm off here, correct me. Um, I think there is a lesson here in this for people that marry outside of the faith. Yeah. And, and I just want to be very clear here. If you are already in a situation where you are married to someone who is not a believer, oh, yeah. then you should make the best of that situation. You should love that person, whether it's your wife or your husband, to the best of your ability. And that's the situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. But I want to speak here to people who have children or grandchildren yeah. or you maybe you're a younger person yourself. I cannot say strongly enough that you should seriously and soberly consider not marrying outside of your faith community, not because those people are worse sinners than you or not because they, but because you're creating a situation where your basic worldview and your outlook and how you spend your money and what you're trying to accomplish and what the purpose of life is are fundamentally different. Yes, he's really good looking. Yes, she's cute, but Marriage is hard enough. Exactly. Even when you have philosophical harmony. Correct. Or when correct. you don't have, you know, it's just to put such a burden on things. And, yes. And especially when it comes to raising of children. Correct. How are you going to make That's all those where the micro rubber, decisions? The rubber meets the road in, right. in marriage with yeah. money and children. Yeah, really. Right. How do we spend our money? Yeah. And like I, uh, uh, I've had this situation many times in my pastoral ministry mm -hmm. where the wife wants to tithe. And the husband is yeah. the primary breadwinner. Oh, he doesn't like well, that that's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. So then she says, well, can I have some kind of an allowance? Because yeah. I want to tie the what? budget. It's a mess. And then when it comes to the raising of children, one parent wants to pay for their child to go to a Christian school, school which can be very expensive. Doesn't see the the other one's saying that. public school is free. That's are you right. kidding me? Why and this, these are just two yeah. of the many issues. And so and why put that burden on something that's already the most difficult relationship you ever attempt? Correct. Yeah. And again... There are situations where it does work out. Yeah. It works out great and it all comes together, mm -hmm. but you're you're playing with fire. It's risky. You know, there's a whole uh, concept flirt to convert. So it's the thinking that right. someone wouldn't be attracted to you if they right. weren't someone interested in God themselves right. or at least your faith. Right. But you have to navigate. And I'm not totally against that concept because I've known people that have gotten to know someone Same. outside their faith. Yep. And gradually that person came in their direction. So I'm not saying that never happens, but you have to navigate it very, when you say very carefully. Extremely carefully. Yeah. And what, you're, what you need to try and do in those situations is ascertain is the interest only in you and then any sort of possible interest in God is just, you know, tangential yeah. or is there a genuine interest there? And I've counseled couples over the years to break off the relationship, see if that interest in God continues, the interest Remains. in scripture, yeah. Bible studies. And then if that continues, and I've seen this happen, mm -hmm. the person follows through, they become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, they get baptized, the people get married and they all live happily ever after. Yeah, of course, especially since you counseled them. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I just wanted to throw that in as a point of practical application yeah, yeah. that we should, yeah. it's fine. Okay, let me say it this way. When we think about separation or, you know, these two classes of people that are going very different ways and trajectories, it's one thing to have a neighbor who's an unbeliever. Yeah. It's, it's totally one thing to have a colleague who's an unbeliever. It's not an intimate relationship. Yeah, but to or have a spouse a who's yeah. an unbeliever. Yeah. It's tricky. You open yourself up and there's this exchange of, of you know, spiritual things really with someone you're that close to. I would say that if I did not have the spiritual connection that I have with my wife, 
it would be hard to have the level of intimacy that I have and the level of just intellectual commitment. You know what I'm saying? Like the spiritual is so foundational. So foundational. That without that. I mean, I could go beyond that. I could say my husband and I would not be together if it wasn't for the spiritual foundation. We never would have made it through. Wow. 40 plus years of marriage. I'm just saying. Good for you. Good for you. And it's strong. Like that is what draws us together. Um. And okay. now all these other things, but, you know, family history and all the experiences we've shared also cement us together. But the spiritual is so foundational. The next thing that she talks about here is Adam. And I don't know if anybody there on Instagram Live or on YouTube, if you had the same experience that I had, but I read this. And you know how you kind of get a get something in your throat? It kind of chokes you up. Really? And I'm not a super emotional person, but. You were crying, David? Not crying. <laughs> I, listen, I wish I could cry more. My 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 crying. I'll try to make you cry. Yeah, you do want. your best. Pinch me really hard. Um, but I just want to read this paragraph. This is page 95. It begins, Adam's life was one of sorrow. Mm. I mean, just listen to this. Yeah. And and just try sorrow, insofar as it's possible. And, and contrition. contrition. Insofar as it's possible, try to enter into the experience yeah. of Adam and Eve both. She, mm. she talks only about Adam here, but just mm. try to imagine what it would have been like to see the things they saw. Mm-hmm. Knowing that that they had also been in Eden, in its glories. They'd walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, they had seen mm-hmm. paradise. Oh, so he knew what he lost. He, he knew what he lost, context. exactly. Okay, I know so, what you're going to bring out here, by the way. You do? I do. Okay. Because well, at first, he was really sad about dying. That's right. That's okay. exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. You read me well. So... Um, Adam's life was one of sorrow, humility, and contrition. When he left Eden, the thought that he must die thrilled him with horror. Mm. He was first made acquainted with the reality of death in the human family when Cain, his firstborn son, became the murderer of his His brother, brother. filled with the keenest remorse for his own sin and doubly bereaved in the death of Abel and the rejection of Cain, Adam was bowed down down with with anguish. anguish. Can't you see that in your mind's eye? He witnessed the widespreading corruption that was finally to cause the destruction of the world by a flood. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And though the sentence of death pronounced upon him by his maker had at first appeared terrible, yet after beholding for nearly a thousand years the results of sin, he felt that it was merciful, merciful. in God to bring an end, to bring to an end a life of suffering and sorrow. So we talked about curses Whoa. becoming blessings. Correct. Know, that's one example of that, yeah. So she she's literally saying uh, here that yeah. Adam came to the place where he thought of death as a blessing. As an escape from as how much escape. pain he was in. And knowing that yeah. he and his wife, Eve, were the source, ultimately, yeah. of that I don't, pain. I don't think any human being has ever borne that much guilt. Impossible. And especially... Uh, except fact, for Jesus on the cross, and that course. was placed upon him. And of course, and then of course, the great despots of history and people that murdered billions of people. But their right? consciences were seared. Exactly. So he had a sensitive conscience and was wide open to she, looking oh. straight at the things that he had caused. I mean, I can't even imagine. And this is why that scene in the book, is it the great controversy where the, Jesus and Adam meet yeah, oh, at the end yeah, of time yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. and they embrace it's just so meaningful because so beautiful jesus wanted to lift that pain off of him but it was just he couldn't he couldn't give him an escape from it it might sound crazy to say that death could be a blessing yeah. but the bible actually says it Does in it? revelation chapter 14 verse 13 it says blessed are those that die in the lord from henceforth mm-hmm. in other words blessing is a curse or death is a curse 
but it can also be a blessing in certain circumstances. You and I, Jen, have yeah. both known people who've been in great pain. Exactly. Who have fought long battles yeah. with diseases and cancers and other things. Yeah. And when they come to the end of their life, death is a sweet release. Or even just just aging, like my mother yeah, had aging Alzheimer's, is hard. you know, it was really tough. But toward the end, I was like, okay, just let her go. And right. we had it at something in the will that said no heroic measures. And it even got to the place where, you know, when people are dying, they get a lot of infections, bladder infections, yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah, yeah. starts getting, it's a mess because they're not moving. And we started saying, should we even give antibiotics, you know, and save their life one more time, you know, because the quality of life was so poor. And yeah. it was a blessing when she finally passed. This is one of the points that I mentioned in our afternoon session that Atul Gawande brings out in his book, Being Mortal, that, and I don't want to be misunderstood here, but he makes this point as a physician. He says, there can be no doubt that in our technological capacity now to, in some cases, artificially extend life, mm -hmm. we actually increase pain. It's That's right. That's right. The burden of pain is increased because of medical technology. It's true. Yeah. I mean, people live very... The, if, if we lived in more primitive times, and I'm not suggesting, hey, let's go back to when, you know, mortality rates were like, you know, you died at, you know, right. 8, 32 years old. Yeah. But... We have to there's be balance, mindful yeah. of the fact there's a balance, well, right? I've if we just continue to artificially right extend life, yeah. and Adam would have felt like, okay, Lord, I've seen enough. Yeah. I've heard enough. I've felt enough. She actually says one of the most painful things in this chapter. She says that when people would see him, they would chastise him and berate him for the decision that That's he made right. in the garden. That's right. They would mock him. They would, they from a place of real carnality, Oh, but they would still, you know, acknowledge what had happened. And they weren't wrong. And they were biblical, actually. They weren't wrong. And so Adam has to wear correct. all of that yeah. and bear all of that. That's right. To me, this just, I, I put here that it was almost unbearably sad. Death mm -hmm. as a blessing, almost unbearably sad. Mm -hmm. Did you notice, are you, would you have something? No, else? no, go. Okay, so I noticed this part about um, the mental powers of the antediluvians. And I was really yeah. kind of blown away by it. So she says, it is a mistake to suppose yeah. that because they lived to a great age, their minds matured late, their mental powers were early developed, and those who cherished the fear of God and lived in harmony with his will continue to increase in knowledge mm. and wisdom throughout their life. Could illustrious scholars of our time, yeah, David yeah, Asher, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Richard Davidson, be placed in contrast with men of the same age who lived before the flood, they would appear as greatly inferior in mental as they were as in physical, physical strength. strength. Muscles right. would blow to the ego as the years of man have decreased and his physical strength has diminished. Yes. So his mental capacities have lessened. It's true. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? Well, and she says, you know, people today, the people that we regard as great scholars and polymaths yeah. in various yeah. fields, yeah. she says they study for 20 to 50 years. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, what if you studied in for an area centuries. for, yeah. What, yeah. What would you know about animal husbandry if you took care of animals yeah. for 500 years? Yeah. What would you know about boat building if you'd been building boats for 500 years? What exactly. would you know about the sea? What would you know about the natural world around you? Yeah. Right. The accumulation of knowledge would have been remarkable. And I just want to say a word about this. And we'll have more opportunity to talk about it tomorrow. And when I have uh, Dr. Sean Pittman come on and talk to us about the flood and creation, that'll be a supplemental session. I think it's going to happen on February 5. That won't be in studio. That'll be on Zoom. But anyway, we don't know very much at all about the antediluvian world. That just means the world before the flood. It is necessarily inaccessible to us because we have so little actually written history of it. But the it. reason that there's no written record is she says they, they didn't have books. Everything. She says they didn't have books. They didn't but need books. I don't know. I don't want to miss my point here. Okay, my sorry. point. No, no, no. You're fine. But my point is just that 
I have over the years heard a lot of speculation, and and I don't mind a little, you know, speculation. You know, let's have a Scholarly fireside chat about yeah. what might have been a conjecture. But I think that we should not we should not make overly significant what the Bible itself does not make That's overly right. significant. Okay. We should yes. say there were antediluvian people that they clearly had incredible knowledge, Powers. but to speculate about technologies that they possessed, and we don't know. We just don't know. We don't know. But do you think that they remembered everything and that's why they didn't have anything codified? Like, why didn't they come to writing if, you know, no, no, they I, were so I think their minds were just so far sure. in advance yeah. of our minds yeah. today. And there, there are, and I'll talk to Sean about this when we do the supplemental yeah. session, but there are some really fascinating um, indications of ancient wisdom that far surpass what we would think yeah. people from that historical period would possess, yeah. things like the pyramids, as a case yeah. in point. Yeah. Or Stonehenge is a really great example. For a long time, it was thought that Stonehenge was just a kind of burial site. Yeah. And uh, there was a gentleman, I believe in the 1960s, might have been the 1970s, who proposed this idea that it was actually an ancient computer. Really? It was actually an ancient calculating device. And there are, I think, 52 wow. or 53 yeah. little holes all yeah. around. And he was suggesting that sticks could be put in these holes and it could be, it was predictive. Huh. You could actually predict solstices and, yeah. and eclipses. Wow. And, and people thought, oh, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. Because the idea was people couldn't have known, yeah. right? The whole idea of a Copernican view of reality and Galileo, that's all so far future, future to Stonehenge. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, over decades of research, he went on to show yeah. that his hypothesis was correct. And that's now the accepted view, huh. that Stonehenge was not a just computer? a burial ground. It was basically a predictive Seriously? device. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So then people say, well, you would have had to know so... And here's another mm -hmm. little point about Stonehenge. Where it's located sort of longitudinally... Which is the up and down? That's, that's uh, latitudinally. Latitude Latitude goes this way, longitude goes this way, I yeah, think. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, where it's located on the north-south mm -hmm. spectrum, it literally cannot be more than about a mile one way or the other and it work. In other words, it had to be where it is in order for it to work in terms of its north-south orientation, which raises the question, how did they figure that how out? How would they have figured that out? Mm. Uh, it's absolutely, have you no, ever heard Latitude of, is north and south. North and south, that's okay. right. Latitude is north and south? Yeah. Okay, I was wrong then. Um, and I always get those mixed so up. think long. Have you ever heard of something called the Antikythera machine? No. Okay, I won't bore you with it. But anyway, there are... Go for it. Talk about it. Well, there, just, there are these fascinating little hints of significant technologies yeah. that, that very likely came from people out of... That knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding came out of the flood. People had this incredible knowledge and little bits of it were passed on to Noah and his... Well, it must have Descendant. been Noah's family. Of course, it had, had to be Noah yeah. and his family that had yeah. that knowledge. Right. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this is all very much suppressed in the world in which we live today because it... Nobody wants to acknowledge they even existed. Right. And and the whole thing of even Atlantis, mm -hmm. like the idea that there really the were these uh, antediluvian kinds of people, like the sons of Noah mm -hmm. that lived. And anyway, I don't want to get too far it's in cool the weeds now. here, but the idea is... Yeah. We would expect there to be some earthly indications that people of incredible intelligence existed, and there are, yeah, like the pyramids, yeah. hello, like Stonehenge, yeah, and uh, so it's remarkable. So there might be more somewhere that we might discover. Well, there's this little machine that I was talking about there briefly, yeah, the Antikythera yeah. machine. 
fascinating machine that was found either in like the, was found in the Mediterranean or maybe in the, dead, not the Dead Sea, maybe the Mediterranean. In the ocean? In the, yeah, down at the bottom. And they right. found this machine and it's got all these gears and cogs and they that were way, way in advance, beyond, yeah. centuries and centuries and centuries in advance of where it should have been. And you can actually Google, Google it, Antikythera machine, and you'll see that as best as they can tell, it was basically like an ancient calculating device. Oh, that's crazy. But the, the metallurgy to create it was centuries in the future. The what? The metallurgies. The, 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 how do we combine certain metals and alloys yeah. in order to okay. create cogs and wheels and clutches yeah. and axles? And well, how do, they, how do they date the machine itself? I, they probably just, I don't know that because I'm not an archaeologist, but I know that they're quite certain. If a mainstream yeah, anthropologist exactly. or geologist so in that deny. says it, yeah. it's dated to many centuries yeah. before when those various technologies would have existed, you can be sure it's true. You'd be pretty sure, yeah. Okay. So an, another factor that, that increased their capabilities intellectually is the fact that so many generations lived contemporaneously. Correct. Um, so you had shared knowledge. I, I remember listening to a guy talk about it, a sociologist or something, talk about the effect of divorce. And he said one of the most difficult things about it is the loss of database because you're living with mm -hmm. someone and you have a shared database. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, like, where where did I put my gloves? And, and what year was it that such and such happened? And you've lost all that when you divorce someone. Think about if you had seven generations living at the same time and how that shared database between all the people in that family would create such a, a sort of a, a cluster of power for them, intellectual power. That's amazing. Them. Yeah. It's funny to hear you say that because mm -hmm. Ellen White refers to Eve and Adam as one another's second self. Yeah. And yeah. almost reflexively, if I can't remember a name or a I date know. or something, I'll say, hey, Violetta, what was the year that we, yeah. what was the name of that person? Yeah. And she just, I know. and I sometimes she'll say the same morning. to me. We're almost one mind. Yeah, it's true. It's crazy. I mean, and, and can you imagine divorce and the amount of information that would be lost oh, yeah. to you? I would, if, if that ever happened, obviously this isn't going to happen. But if it ever happened that I was divorced from my wife, I'd have to call her up and say, Sweet, I know, I know we're divorced. I know, I know you hate me. But I, but I was just wondering, <laughs> when was that that we, what was that person's name? I mean, so, literally. The, the takeaway is stay on good terms with someone you've been married yeah, to for amen. years, even if you go. Your well, I'm, I'm more happily married today than I've ever been. And amen. I tell people, if if Violetta and I, if you ever hear that David and Violetta <laughs> Asherick got divorced, it will be over driving. <laughs> <laughs> Because neither crazy. one of us like the way the other one drives. And you both drive like absolute idiots, to be honest with you. <laughs> he was doing donuts on the way over here. I finally just put on my seatbelt and said, just go for it, you know. <laughs> but she's crazy too. You're both crazy. She drives fast and I drive inattentively. You, that's neither, that's ne neither of you have the moral high ground to condemn the other one's driving. No, you're Let's you are not one. wrong about that. My <laughs> critique of her is that she drives really fast. She's actually a great driver. That's the problem. She's good. She's a very like her carmanship is exceptional, but she knows it. She's a great driver and she really pushes the envelope. And I tell her, look, sister, sweetheart. You can drive as fast as you want when I'm not in, in the, the car. car. But then when I drive, she says, why, why you aren't you paying attention? Die. What are you looking at? Oh, I, saw, I saw a bird over here. I saw a mountain over here. My mind is wandering. Driving is one of the many things that I'm doing while I'm driving. It's one, it's one of the many things. Thank okay. you for the heads up. Let's talk about Enoch. Okay, let's do it. Because now she begins to talk about Enoch. And the, the first thing that I want to say is I absolutely love, I'm on page 97, 84 of the original pagination. She she says a lot that's really encouraging and inspiring about Enoch here, but I just love yeah. this line. The infinite, unfathomable love of God through Christ 
became the subject of his meditations day and night, and with all the fervor of his soul, he sought to reveal that love to the people among whom he dwelt. And I wrote, look what I wrote here in the margin. I wrote, preacher. Mm. And then just a few paragraphs later, she calls him a preacher of righteousness. Oh, that's so great. So you said that before she said it. Yeah, yeah, I said it. I was just like, this guy's a preacher. And uh, I I just love the idea that, that, you know, we think of Enoch almost, I don't know how you think of him, but I think a lot of people have this tendency to think of Enoch. Again, a person about whom we know precious little. Mm -hmm. But I think the idea is that there's almost this monastic quality, this hermetic quality. She actually says, hollow-cheeked guy up on a mountain somewhere. The opposite. He was a preacher of righteousness that mingled with people. He was a passionate human being. Can I read the next paragraph? This is the one that begins Enoch's walk with God, page 98 of the uh, Types and Symbols, 85 of the original. In fact, why don't you read it? Read that paragraph. Enoch's walk with God was not in a trance or vision, but in all the duties of his daily life. He did not become a hermit, Mm -hmm. shutting himself entirely from the world. For he had a work to do for God in the world, in the family and in his intercourse with men, as a husband and father, a friend, a citizen. He was the steadfast, unwavering servant of the Lord. Yeah. It's funny that you read the word intercourse there. My, my, uh, the types and symbols, they've updated that word to interaction. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good update. I mean, there have been precious few Actual updates in the language, okay and that's the a good one. Language is a little bit archaic, but let's just right. You know, oh, but but the point here, don't miss the point. And I yeah. just love this that he wasn't a hermit. He wasn't yeah. a monk. He was a people person. He liked he to be people. around people. He was now increasingly as people got more and more wicked, and we're getting yeah. we have to remember more and more proximate to the flood. And you know, I wanted to discuss that with you. Like, yeah. do you think that there were some differences? Because it talks a lot about how he preached and rebuked and yeah, 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 you know, yeah, was yeah. constantly putting before people the soon destruction of the world and yeah. these heavy messages. Was it a little different environment to what we have today? Like, do you feel as a preacher as compelled to preach rebuking sermons and warning type sermons? Or are you more trying to draw people toward? Because you're dealing with, you know, there is no knowledge of God. Like people are from oh, all fair different point. backgrounds. Yeah, you can't walk over to the Garden of Eden exactly. and have a look. And so there's no near history of all these things that these people have rejected and forcefully pushed out of their lives, you know. Um, and, and so there's a little different approach, don't you think? Because no, I think of you're that? right. Yeah. We do not live in a, I mean, religiosity, especially Christian religiosity, is on the significant decrease. Yeah. You know, people are less biblically literate. They're less religiously literate. And so if you went to people, to certain people, quite a substantial class of people today and said, look, you know, God is coming soon and you better get your life in order and stop sinning or you're going to, you know, you're going to die. Well, lots of preachers I do mean, that. Well, they do that. But is it appropriate to people that don't well, even know the first thing? Well, this About is the point. God. Here's they don't have a basis for which they even can be convicted that they're sinning. The larger question that you're asking is that we, that you're highlighting here, is that we should be preaching in a contextual way. So there is, we can't be overly formulaic here. I mean, Jesus yeah. was completely contextual. He spoke in the context, in the circumstances in which he found himself, yeah. and he gave messages primarily of the love of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. But, he didn't but also there was rebuke. Too, yeah. He would say things like, you know, every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is thrown into the fire. That's right. And so it's it's not either or, but yeah. I love the fact that when she launches into Enoch's preaching ministry, his sharing ministry, again, mm-hmm. she uses that language, which I just jumped out at me, the infinite, unfathomable love of God through Christ. Mm-hmm. She does talk a little bit about how he 
preached Christ. Mm -hmm. And somebody might be going, what? How does he preach Christ? Well, he preaches the Redeemer. Mm -hmm. And clearly he had prophetic, prophetic, excuse me, visions. He understood the sacrificial system. We've already talked about how their minds were. They all knew that something was going on. Something was going on there. And so his capacity to, and remember, Adam taught him. Yeah. Adam explained a lot of this to him, and she even makes the point where she says that Christ and the angels themselves came and talked to him. Mm. Did you get that? I was just like, whoa. I was thinking, was that in person? I don't know. She doesn't say. Was it through the Holy Spirit? Was it through the voice of conscience? But either way, we need to be very careful. There's There's two ditches or two pits to fall in here, right? One is that you never preach about the love of God, and the other is that you only preach about the love of God as opposed to, you know, rebuking sin and falling into um, uh, rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, even there, you're all, you're obviously always talking about the goodness of God, the love of God, because it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Mm-hmm. But some people need a message in certain circumstances and at certain times that says, hey, and especially you think of Enoch's situation, yeah, the world is about ready to end mm. by a, you know, deluge. That's right. That would add a little urgency. Yeah, we're going to be ended. Let me read this little part here, and you yeah. tell me what you think about this. There are few Christians who would not be far more yeah. earnest and I, devoted if they knew that they had but a short, short time, time to, to live, live or that the coming of Christ was about to take place. But Enoch's faith waxed the stronger. His love as the became centuries, more ardent with the lapse of centuries. So yeah, break that down for me. What was going I on? I just there? love that. Yeah. I, it's the idea that that, you know, the shortness of time, to quote Ellen White in another context, the shortness of time should, should not be urged, be urged as a as the great motivator. Yeah. And then she has this great line where she says, Jesus himself is, is attractive. attractive. You know this. It's just, I, well, I wrote it down. I, I just love that idea yeah. that when we say to people, and I've been guilty of this myself at times, Jesus is coming soon, therefore, okay, yes, but also why not just... Jesus is awesome, therefore. Jesus is beautiful, therefore. Jesus is kind, therefore. As soon as we shrink down the timetable so that it's like, well, you'd better get your act in order because A, you have cancer, or B, you're getting older. setting yourself up for um, time setting and... And just selfishness. That just becomes self-preservation. Oh, I better... Yeah, read it. Go ahead and read read it. it. The shortness of time is frequently urged as an incentive for seeking righteousness and making Christ our friend. This should not be the... Yes. Yeah, like... Be friends with Jesus. He's you, about to come and pour you, fire on you. You hear evangelists <laughs> preach like yeah. this. It's not this uncommon. This should not be the great motive with us, for it savors of selfishness. Selfishness. It is necessary that the terrors is of the day... Is it necessary? Okay. She's asking okay. a question. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God should be held before us, that we may be compelled to right action through fear? It ought not be so. Jesus is attractive. Him, that's it. He is full of love, mercy, and compassion. He proposes to be our friend to walk with us through all the rough Come on pathways now. Come of on now. life. Come on now. How could you beat that? She didn't say that part, but he says to us, I am the Lord thy God. Walk with me, and I will fill thy path with light. That's Enoch. Walk then, with me. That's it. It is walk not the fear me. of punishment or the hope of everlasting reward that leads the disciples of Christ to follow him. They behold the Savior's matchless love revealed throughout Correct. his pilgrimage on earth from the manger, manger of Bethlehem to Calvary's cross. And the sight of him attracts, it softens and subdues the mm. soul. Love awakens in the heart of the beholders. They hear his voice and they follow him. Hallelujah. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. 
And but Enoch, then you got to balance that because he did rebuke people. I don't think you have to balance that. I think that is the balance. Yeah. Because because the 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 call You're to right. repentance, the the truth about hell. I mean, a friend of mine wrote a book called A Deep But Dazzling Darkness. Oh. That was you, Jen. Mm-hmm. Which is so many years ago you forgot. So the, the point here is is that you should never hear somebody say God is love, but that's right. Never, ever, ever, ever. In fact, the word but should never follow the word love. That's right. So it's like, oh, I love him, but yeah. no, you say and. That's right. Because you you never want so to So how would you do that? Create, you know, okay. I love Jesus, or Jesus is good, Jesus is attractive, and and now put in a part about yeah, 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 rebuking yeah. people and preach and warning people. Okay, do that. I okay, so my answer to that is. When we lift Jesus higher and higher, his beautiful, glorious, selfless life is the rebuke. Okay, I, I don't need well, to come well, as the well, preacher well, well, and tighten you, the thumbscrews. Yeah, but on what that. are you going to do with people that are fully contemptuous? The goodness and, of God leads to repentance. But that's not what we're reading here about. Well, I, I, that is actually what I read. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let me find. Let me. Let me get in a little. Here we go. I actually, I have a real bee in my bonnet about this notion of. It was the spirit of Christ that spoke through Enoch. That spirit is manifested not alone in utterances of love, compassion, and entreaty. Keep going. It is not smooth things only that are spoken by holy men. God puts into the heart and lips of his messengers truths to utter that are keen and cutting as a two-edged sword. Correct. And Christ and him crucified is not smooth and it is keen and cutting. All right. That's my answer. You win. <laughs> oh, I didn't, are we, were we arguing a little bit? Okay, it's all right. Well, it's good. It's good to have that that dialogue. It is. Um, but I I think that there is a place for you know warning people. How do you? Of do course. It? How do you do it? Everything comes through the lens of the cross. Everything comes through the lens of the love of God. The warning is, is it Calvary. Not love to say you know bad things will happen if you continue in this course. Of course. And where's what's the worst thing that ever happened in the whole of human history? The cross. the cross. This is Jesus took the penalty for us. The wages of sin is death. Oh. So it's not the cross or talking about the wrath of God, the return of Jesus, the you know uh, it's, just it's destructive a, fires of hell. It's all a play out of the same central. One hundred percent. And and we have to be so careful that we don't separate those That's two true. because then you meet preachers. God is. Oh love, man, I could name some names, and I'm not going to. You end up with that exact thing. God is love, but you know a lot of preachers they would stand up and talk about the love of God, but today I'm going to. T- Okay, well, I'm I'm not interested in anything you have to say if the preamble is something that's in tension with God's love, because God's justice is not in tension with his love. His mercy is not in tension with his love. His wrath is not in tension with his love. It's just not. Would you say that his mercy and his justice are in tension with each other? His his mercy mercy and and his justice are in tension. I don't like the word tension because they all flow out of the heart of God. They're two different aspects. But yeah. isn't there a tension of a sort between the two where they on the surface seem to contradict each other and that there's... Yes. Yeah. I, if, as long yeah. as you say it that way. On would, the surface, they that, seem I would, to. I say that it's it's painful to try to hold two principles that, Correct. Are, that are pillar principles. Human brains don't like that. Yeah. Human brains don't like cognitive dissonance. We want this or this. Well, and again, that's part of living sacrificially. You know, if we're going to live love, we're going to live justice and mercy. Yes. For us, it's going to be experienced as tension. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I, yeah. I grant that. And and whenever and did you we... know this, that Jesus was crucified in the middle of a skull-shaped hill? 
in the middle. Yeah, Golgotha. And so the right side of the brain is inclined toward mercy, the left toward justice. Mm, he was showing how contemplating well, the cross that's can build, bring those two things together. That's an Ivor Myers type of thing. He loves those I like pictorial that. things, but it can be. Yeah, Ivor's good at that stuff. I know. Man. He's, he's incredible. I, he's, you know what he is? He's, he's, he's an artistic right preacher. He's very artistic. I, I love him. Yeah. Um, great point. Very, yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah. For me, I think I answered your question. I don't yeah. have to go any deeper. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that I want to say, and I want to kind of get to our rubric here, can I just read on page 101, and I want you to hear that. 101. I, mean, I feel like we just started OT with DA, we're doing and good. we're on a page 101. Uh, this is page 88 of the original pagination, but I want to read this paragraph because it's so beautiful. It begins with one of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and then we'll get into the rubric. Okay, so let's just read this. Wait a minute, because I have this one thing I want to Blessed share. Blessed are... And I also want to say one thing, David. Okay, you can say... Isn't this moving right here at the end of 87? It well, says... Well, well, take your... Get well, in line, you're sister. You're here. Oh, where am I going? Yeah, you're on page 88. I was going to... I was just going to bring out... No, no, you go. Go, go, go. That he, 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 he was translated... Yeah. You know, he, he, yep, he was yep, no yep, more. Yep, yep. And I just love the sentence. His loss was felt on earth. And it talks mm. about both people that were at odds with him yeah, yeah, and yeah, people yeah. that loved him and how they went and searched for him and tried to Where could him. he they be? Maybe he's like Waldo. Was Where's Waldo? Away somewhere and they couldn't find him and they finally realized it. Yeah, but his loss You know, felt. we want to be like that. Yeah. When when yeah. when David Asherick so, dies, you want people to say, oh, oh that, was, sure that was a loss. When sad. Jennifer died, when... We don't want our absence to yeah. be unnoticed. Yeah, that's right. Right, and and not just by those that are closest yeah, and, and proximate right. to us, but by the world. We want people yeah. to say, "The world was better with her in it. The world was and better." And you know, with it's him in it. not difficult to be that kind of person. I want to just encourage people that maybe don't feel like they're connected anywhere or they mean anything to anyone. All you have to do to gain significance in a social context as a human being is small acts of service. Yes. It is not difficult. Yes. Start yes. within the little sphere Hallelujah. of your life and start to bless other people, and then you will be missed. You will be significant. Amen. You will be missed. Amen. One of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture is Acts chapter 11, verse 24, speaking of Barnabas. Yeah. It says, He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people were added to the Lord. You know, you just think about that. That's his legacy. That's his epitaph. Well, think like, of the generosity. I mean, he's the one that mentored Paul, and then Paul goes in, on to greatness. Exactly. It's, it's beautiful. I want people... I have said for two, two and a half decades now of my preaching ministry that when David Ashrick passes off the scene, if the Lord tarries, I want pe if people only said this, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and many people were added to the Lord... I will say that right now, David. Oh, you're yeah. um, Okay, so I'm going to read this page 101. Yeah. 101 in the Types and Symbols 88. It begins, Blessed are the pure in heart. <laughs> I don't know where. Where are you at? No, this no, no. Jen, you're too far. You're. Oh, I must be. Go back one. I just want you. Right there. Okay, that's. Okay. I... Listen to this. This is so beautiful. And I, I guess this is really dear to me because we just did this series on the Sermon on yeah. the Mount. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. For 300 years Enoch had been seeking purity of soul, mm. that he might be in harmony with heaven. For three centuries he had walked with God. Whoa. Think yeah. of that. Yeah. Day by day he had longed for a closer union. Nearer and nearer had grown the communion until God took mm -hmm. him to, to himself. himself. Oh, I love that. He had stood at the threshold of the eternal world, only a step between him and the land of the blessed. And now the portals opened. Uh, 
The walk with God. Come on, girl. I'm getting chills. So long pursued on earth, continued, and he passed through the gates of the holy city. Can you imagine the moment it opened up and he realized? She says, the first from among men to enter there. And you think about this. Enoch and then later Moses and Elijah. Well, Enoch, Moses, Elijah. They got to see all of the scenes We read about the scenes of Jesus' life. They got to watch the 33-year movie or the 32-year movie. They watched it. That's true. Because they're in heaven. They they literally, they would not have missed. You want to know one of the things I think? We get to watch it later. In the new heaven and the new earth, one of the things that we will do Mm -hmm. is we will spend years Mm -hmm. watching the Jesus movie. How cool is that? And it'll be be even better than The Chosen. Yeah, The Chosen is really good. I know. They did a good job. But this will be even better. But you're in trouble for promoting The Chosen, you know. Am I? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. People take issue with it because there's some doctrinal things. I think but, it's fantastic. But it was well done. I mean, obviously, it's, it's like a work a, of art. If you say, hey, there's a book that you should read, you're not signing off on every, every syllable. Every sentence You're not book. signing off on every single thing. We're assuming you have a certain amount of intelligence here. Yeah, you have a brain, right? Yes, exactly. um, okay, so here's what I wrote in my notes. When I think about translation, when I think about Enoch, God took him to himself. I just wrote, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number. Amen. When the saints go marching in. Okay, uh, Jen, let's do the rubric here. The point, the person, the prayer, the practice. Oh, you had something you wanted to say. Okay, one thing I want to talk about. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so um, we have this um, in the middle of page 88. Um, It says that, uh, let me just figure out where to start. There's danger that men would yield to discouragement because of the fearful results of Adam's sin. Many were ready to explain, exclaim, what profit is it that Mm. we have feared the Lord and have kept his ordinances since a heavy curse is resting upon the race, and death is the portion of us all. But the instruction which God gave to Adam, and which were repeated by Seth and exemplified by Enoch, and that's mm. interesting uh, that it was exemplified by Enoch, he just took it to a higher level somehow, swept away the gloom and darkness and gave hope to man that as through Adam came death, so through the promised Redeemer would come life and immortality. Satan was urging upon men the belief that there was no reward for the righteous mm. or punishment for the wicked. Come on now. And that it was impossible for men to obey the divine statutes. But in the case of Enoch, God declares that that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently, diligently seek, seek him. him. So I wanted to talk about that um, for a minute here, having to do with the punishment of the wicked and the psychological effect of it. Okay. And I wanted to talk about the research of a man named Albert Bandura, who was a social researcher back in the mid-1900s. Okay. And really an illustrious uh, leader in the, you know, whole psycho- uh, psychology world okay. of the behavioralist school. And he did these um, experiments. And again, we're talking about the whole notion that, that sin is punished. What effect does that awareness have? on people's psychology and behavior, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, the first experiment he did established the whole modeling idea that we talked about before, imitative learning. When you see certain things done, you tend to imitate yeah. that behavior. And they did it with these Bobo dolls. They have these life-size dolls that, you, they're like those blow-up things that you see at Christmas that people put in their yard, great big blow-up yeah. things. And you can tip them over and they come back up and yeah, they have yeah, like yeah, a yeah. clown painted on them. So they have these kids watch videos of a model who's an adult uh, human being uh, beating on the Bobo doll or in, you know, inflicting violence upon this Bobo doll. And then they see if the children will repeat that behavior when they're given a Bobo doll. And they did. So that was imitative learning. Yep. Then they did another experiment where they used conditioning. 
Mm-hmm. And there's this thing called classical conditioning, yep. which involves uh, giving rewards to people when they observe certain behaviors and see if they will then have a greater disposition to repeat those behaviors. Yeah. So they do this in militaries where they, not, not the U.S. military because it's illegal here, but they'll do it in some militaries where they, they um, put violence in front of soldiers and then give them wine, women, and song. And that positive association that they, with all that pleasure that they mm. build with watching the violence increases their capacity and desire to kill. It's called kill rate that is li- literally trained into these soldiers because mm. it is a problem in military not to have a high kill rate because people don't, some people don't really want to shoot other people. So um, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it's true that the, the firing rate was lower yeah. before we had all this yep. training yep. to yep. teach people. A higher kill well, it's an rate. extremely unnatural thing it to is. end I another know, life. To look, someone looks just like right, you and right. kill them. So anyway, um, so what they did was they tried conditioning and st- tried to see if that would work. So what they did is they had three videos. The first was just the model hitting the doll. The second was seeing the re- a reward given for the violence inflicted upon the doll. And the third one was seeing punishment given. And what they found was that the children that observed the punishment of that violent behavior, we're less inclined to repeat that behavior. Interesting. So if we don't think that there's a punishment for wickedness, it actually increases. Isn't there a scripture to that effect? Because the punishment on the wicked is delayed. Yeah, that's right. Men's hearts are fully... Correct. You said Ecclesiastes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, reinforcing... Yeah, because the wickedness. sentence is delayed. The yeah. hearts of men uh, grow, you know, wax evil and, and rebellious. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. right. That's right. No, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. So... What we have today, now I want to talk just briefly about the difference between the violence and bad behavior we see in the media and the violence and bad behavior we see in scripture. Yeah, Because yeah. the scripture is, it's not Victorian reading, you know, it's not like puritanical. No, no, it, it's no, very certainly blunt not. about human behavior and, and, and really bad human behavior. So why does the, why is there not the same effect of the imitative effect when you read it in scripture? Could it be that the conditioning is in place where you see the punishment of evil in scripture so that the bad behavior is addressed in the context of what the ultimate result of it will oh, be? Oh, that's good. And that prevents that imitative behavior. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. I like that. Whereas in... in it's in, part of a narrative. In media, particularly films, uh, these films glorify simply no, that's true. like Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, that was sick behavior perpetrated on this... This woman, this sadomasochistic stuff. Oh, yeah. That they that do was, yeah, BDSM that. sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. about that movie? And I, I, not the movie, but wasn't it like a book or? No, was... it's a mo- it's a book and a movie. Okay, yeah. A series of movies. And it's, and about it's like basically glorifying. BDSM. Uh, like abusive. And in an yeah. abusive relationship of control. And 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 it glorifies it. And they, he ends up, they end up in love, I think, or whatever. Yeah, right. And so that really reinforces That's exactly, a fiction if there ever was exactly. one. Exactly. So. I love your point here. You know, it doesn't mean there is a place for people to know that the wages of sin is death. I mean, Jesus himself said, don't fear him that can destroy the body, but rather fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in the fires of Gehenna. So to know that there is a punishment, to know that you don't get, we get away with nothing. Sometimes that's the only language people understand. And, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And sometimes, you know, that's why I think he was rebuking and warning people because there were Correct. some people that couldn't hear the love of God and in the Redeemer and that. T- and it well, just, the only thing I would say to that is yeah. my suspicion is, and I don't know, obviously, I don't, I, I've never heard a sermon by Enoch. I looked him up on Audioverse and on YouTube and there wasn't any. Um, but the only thing I would say is... Maybe they took his sermon down. <laughs> that could be. We, we, 
we cannot say that Enoch's preaching when he's doing the rebuking and the warning was not also set against the backdrop of the oh, infinite sure and was. unutterable love of God. It would have been. I'm sure it was. So it's not either because or. Because he was preaching to a mixed group. And so some people were right. going to respond. Yeah. So what Okay, so okay. Um, Jen, let's just go through this. Okay. The point, the person, the prayer, the practice, this has been a great conversation. And it really drew out of my heart a desire to want to have that communion and that connection. She uses both of those words yeah. like Enoch had. You want to be like Enoch. Okay, so the point, um, he can, can I go? Can I read go. my point? My point was, what's the point of this chapter? To bridge the world of Adam and Eve to the world that followed and to tell of the emergence of two distinct classes of people. Mm. What you got? Mm -hmm. uh, purity in the midst of iniquity is possible. Because yes. here's Enoch, yes. and there's yes. all this garbage going on Great around point. him, and he's just so consecrated. It's possible. Yeah, beautiful. You don't have to be affected by it. Okay, Jen, you go first on this one. What do we learn about the person of God in this chapter that we might not otherwise have known? That he loves to commune with us. You know, he has this yes. person that he's just so connected to, and he loved that relationship. You know? This is a good one, because yeah. that mine takeaway, I love that takeaway. Mine was quite a bit different. I put here that God is committed to a long and painful process. Mm. There will be lights that illumine the increasing mm. darkness, but Satan's world and plan is advancing, right? That's mm. where we're at in this stage of the narrative. We're headed to the flood, and there are these little lights. She talks about Enoch, and she says there were others, but you already get the sense. This is not going to be, yeah, this isn't going to be pretty. quick smart. This yeah. is going to take a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And, and, and you also get a sense of the power of iniquity in this chapter, I thought, like, it just flourishes. It's distressing that Correct. it does, but it does. It's not to be, t it's not like it's a quick fix, like you said. Yeah. Mm. God commits himself to the pain and yeah. to the process. Yeah. Okay, the prayer, here's what I put for my prayer, Jen. I put, Father, help me to commune and connect with you, as did Enoch of old, and this is specifically for me, make me a preacher of righteousness, mm that loves to dwell on the infinite and unfathomable love of God. Mm, amen. How about you? I said, God, help me keep the hope of a better world alive mm. and not to fall prey to appearances that reward never comes. I'm really trying on my social media presence to be really uplifting and yeah. not to get into some of the garbage that goes. Because you, yeah, 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 you yeah, kind of yeah. have to be on social media, you know, mm -hmm. but, but it's such a cesspool. And so I've, I'm really trying to be principled and, and really present Jesus over and over in various yeah, you do, ways. You do and, such and a great job of it. So, yeah. Um, and I need help to do that because it's hard because I start feeling like a weirdo because there are not that many people Well, you are that. a little weird, but you want to be weird. That's the point. Like, we should want to be weird, which is my practice point. All I wrote was, I want to be in the world, but not of the world. Mm. In it, not of it. Mm -hmm. In social media, not of it. That's right. In the world, not of the world. Mm. How about you? I want to do all I can to reinforce faith Faith, uh, to reinforce faith in myself, not faith in myself, but I want to have a faith experience and help reinforce faith in other people. Mm. And a community a community is a big part of this. I also believe in in-reach slash outreach, that what we preach should be helpful to the people of God. Amen. And we should cultivate community because when you cultivate community, in true community in the church where people actually talk on a heart level yes, and connect yes, to each yes. other, you create a neck, like a, a point of gravity that draws people from the world into the church, I feel. So that's a lot of evangelism. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, what was your promise? 
Jesus is coming. It's true. Balance faith in that between uh, preparing for his return and settling into the gospel. So there's those two things. I want to settle into the truth and particularly yeah. the truth of Jesus and his love day by day. But I also want to be preparing for his soon return. And I don't think there's necessarily disagreement. There's there. no tension there. No. Um, my promise was the prophecy, the prophecy that's quoted, attributed to Enoch in the book of Jude. Mm -hmm. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. Look, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones mm -hmm. to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and all of their defiant words that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming He's soon. To convict. And it is going to be absolutely amazing. A population is going to look up and say, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. And another population is going to look up and say, hide us from the wrath of the yeah. lamb mm -hmm. and let the rocks fall on us. Mm -hmm. And that's an astonishing thing. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to be seeing the same Jesus mm -hmm. and having two radically different experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jen, did you have a, a word that you felt like really encapsulated the essence of this chapter? Oh, I didn't, I didn't have that in the rubric, but a one word. Mm. Oh, you didn't do that. Remember, that's what we do. We yeah. have our word. Like your word yesterday was blood. My word okay. was blood. Okay, okay, let me tell mine. Tell your word. And then if you get, actually, if, if you've got your word, let me know what it is. Um, I'll be looking here at the <clears throat> Instagram live. My word, okay, communion. That was a great one. Yeah. I, I leaned heavily toward yeah. that. Um, let's just go down these. Godly, opportunity. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. uh, faithfulness, mm -hmm. communion. I, that's going to be a lot of people's word, yeah, I bet. yeah. Example, mm -hmm. unwavering. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jim says pastor. I like that. Mm -hmm. Communion, Hannah, very good. Mm -hmm. Devotedness. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, because that's actually what the name Enoch means. It means dedicated. Uh, entreaty, very good, Michelle. Preservers. Loyalty, preserves, inspired, inspired connected. connected. I haven't seen my word yet. Translation, communion, a lot of communion. Fidelity, yeah. Yeah. walk. Testimony, yeah. maintained, what's that one? Fruits, inhabit, higher, merciful. merciful. Man, I, nobody had my word. I'm Eternal. a little surprised. I thought that would be kind of common. Commit. Commit. I, I knew that a lot of people Harmony. would have the word uh, communion. My word, was my word was likeness. Mm. Because for me, the whole the whole story mm -hmm. of Seth and of Enoch mm -hmm. hinges on the idea of likeness. Mm -hmm. Adam was in the likeness of God, yeah. but Cain, Abel, and Seth were in the likeness, likeness of, Adam, of Adam. But Enoch showed us that even though we've been in the likeness, likeness of, of Adam, Adam we, we can be in the likeness, likeness of God. God. Woo! <laughs> you like it? So, oh, that was bad. We gotta do better. Um, yeah, we can't have a bad high five at the end of our exactly. session here. We have to make content. That's right. So my word was likeness for that reason. A lot of great words. I think communion yeah, I think was my like, one. it was yeah. my, you know, second choice. second choice. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I like communion and I like likeness. You like likeness? Oh, I like likeness. I really do. I think that's a really great point. Today was a huge day for Jen and I, and I'm sure some of you tuned in for all of both sessions. So it was a big day for you as well. Um, as we speak right now, I think the afternoon session is already uploaded. If it's not completely uploaded, it's very close. And uh, in the within the next few moments, I'll be uploading this live. So thank you all for tuning Instagram Live. It's thank really you, great. YouTube. We'll close with prayer, and we'll see you tomorrow, tomorrow where we'll be talking about Chapter 7, The, the flood. flood. That's a big one.
Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the example and the history that we have in Scripture, in this case of Seth and of Enoch. Father, help us to live lives in the midst of a world that is truly a very dark place. But Father, there are those stars, there are those those places of light and people that become points of access to you and to holiness. And Father, we know that Jesus is the great light, capital L light, that illumines uh, all of us. And uh, he's the light that lights every man that comes into the world. Mm -hmm. But Father, help us as the world gets darker Mm -hmm. to shine more brightly so that just as there were those two classes of people, so different, so distinct, Mm -hmm. that we might be increasingly settled, as Jen said, Mm -hmm. into that class of people Mm -hmm. that say, Jesus is my Savior, Mm -hmm. God is my Father, Mm -hmm. and he is coming again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Father, we choose to believe that today. We accept it. We believe it. We look forward to it. And Lord, when the saints go marching in, we would love to To be be in in that that number. number. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.